John chapter 11, verse number one. I'll read down to verse three. John chapter 11, starting with verse one. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Life doesn't always go the way we plan. Doesn't always go the way we dream. It doesn't always go the way we anticipate. When Thomas Carlyle had finished the first volume of his book, The French Revolution, he gave the finished manuscript to his friend, John Stuart Mill, and asked him to read it. It took Mill several days to read, and as he read it, he realized it was truly one of the world's greatest literary achievements. Late one night, as Mill finished the last page, he laid the manuscript aside the chair in the den of his home. The next morning, the maid came in, saw the papers lying on the floor, and thought they were meant to be discarded, and threw them in the fire. They were burned. On March 6, 1835, John Stuart Mill never forgot that day. He made his way with great agony of heart to Carlisle's home and informed him the work had been destroyed. Carlisle was crushed, but he didn't want his friend Mill to know how discouraged he was. And so he kind of bit his lip, as we say, and said, it's okay. I'm sure I can do it again. And he did. How do you handle life's disappointments? We're going to face them. They're going to come. The disappointments come in various forms and sizes. Sometimes a disappointment comes because a goal is not achieved, like passing a class or a test or an acceptance of a date. Sometimes the disappointment is in a failure. Sometimes the disappointment is in a health issue. How do we handle a disappointment? The answer to that question will determine whether you finish this semester. How you handle disappointments will determine whether you graduate. How you handle disappointments will determine your marriage and a successful home and a lifetime of ministry. The Christian world today is filled with people out of the perfect will of God because they never learned how to handle disappointment. Everywhere I go, I meet people that are living less 
than where they ought to be living in the perfect will of God. And if you listen to their story, if you hear them talk, it goes back to a time when something went wrong in their life, at least in their estimation. They handled it poorly. And as a result, missed, perhaps, a great blessing in their life. Not everything is exactly how it initially looks. Not everything in life is, is exactly what it appears. I had one of the most unusual things happen to me last week. I received this in the mail. I was passing by my faculty box one day. Normally my secretary gathers it up once a day, throws it on my desk if it's pertinent. If it's not, she throws it away. But I went by my box and this was there. And so I picked it up. It was, it was addressed to me. Has a stamp on it on the wrong, on the wrong side of the envelope. No return address, nothing on the back. My name is spelled wrong, which isn't the end of the world. It's obviously me. The handwriting appears to be almost two different handwritings on the address. I looked at it and thought, well, okay, it's a card. Who's it from? I don't know. Spelled my name wrong. I don't know them very well, whoever they are. Uh, sloppy handwriting looks like almost two different kinds of handwriting maybe it's a joint effort <laughs> so I slid it open I pulled it out with sympathy hummingbird some flowers <laughs> it says with sympathy and my first thought was, who died? <laughs> Did somebody die and I, I missed it? <laughs> who died? So I, again, I, I, who's this from? Now, I don't know. With sympathy. So I opened it. And the inside is, is, is ripped out. They did leave one little phrase, may love and faith give you strength today and hope for every tomorrow. Oh, thank you. <laughs> With sympathy. <laughs> but, but the inside here's torn out. And there's no signature, there's no, no words, there's nothing on the back. Weird. <laughs> but there was more in the card that I'm not showing you. There were five $100 bills. Not everything is as it appears. Now, I still don't know the mystery of the card. I think somebody's trying to kill me and they <laughs> gave me enough money to drag me out of the building when it's over. I, I don't know. I have no idea. Maybe I'm going to die. I, I don't know. I had no idea. I, I didn't bring the money because I, I figured I'd get robbed on the way out of chapel. I did <laughs> safely stored for use when somebody shoots me. I'm anticipating it any time. Weird. I have never had anything like this happen in my life. I, I don't understand it. Maybe someday I will. 
I haven't told my wife about it because she's not getting the money. <laughs> As this chapter opens, things appear to be bad. This is sad. A man is sick. A friend of Jesus. A man who Jesus seems to interact with on several occasions here in the little town of Bethany. A man who lived with his sisters, Mary and Martha, and it appears that these were good friends of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, this chapter reveals that Jesus loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary. They were good friends. He would often stop here, perhaps for some refreshment of, of sleep or of, of, of something to eat. It appears that there was a close relationship, and, and Lazarus is, is sick. And so Mary and Martha did what we would have done. They asked the Lord for help. Jesus was living at that time on the earth, and we would have prayed for Lazarus. We would have talked to the Lord. Well, they could talk to him personally. They could send word to him. They could send him a message. Hey, Lord, uh, uh, Lazarus is sick. No doubt they thought Jesus will do something about it. But there are several layers to this story because as it opens, it appears a certain way. But as we learn through the story, there's a lot more here that God wants to accomplish. And what begins as a disappointment, God has some expectations far beyond that. So let's look back at several layers to this story. First of all, we see a personal expectation. As Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus, they no doubt had in their mind, whatever Jesus is doing, wherever he is, he will leave whatever he's doing and he will come to Bethany and he will heal our, our brother. They knew he had the power to do it. They had seen him heal others. They'd seen him heal the sick, open the eyes of the blind, cause the deaf to hear. They knew that Jesus had the power to, to do a miracle here. And Lazarus is merely sick. So they sent word. They sent a messenger. Someone went and told Jesus this message and, and, and informed him. Maybe they thought if Jesus is, is really busy, he can just speak the word and Lazarus will be well. He's God. And he had done that on other occasions we read in the New Testament where Jesus merely spoke the word and someone was better. So they had no doubt these things in their minds. They, they were convinced that Jesus was going to help them. There was a personal expectation here of what God would do. Oftentimes in our lives, we presume the will of God, don't we? We presume that if someone is sick, God will help them get better. We presume that if it's the will of God, he will open doors. We, we presume that if we're in a relationship, that relationship is going to be smooth. But as we read the Bible, that's not always the case. Joshua leads the people against the city of Jericho, and it's an unusual battle for sure as they 
march around the city once a day for six days and have to be completely quiet. And, and, and then on that seventh day, they, they, they march around several times and the walls fall down. What, a, what an amazing uh, win. What an amaz- amazing victory. A, a miracle of God. No doubt in their minds, they were, they, were, they were shocked at what God had done. And so Joshua, the next city is Ai. He sends a small group of men to take this small city thinking we don't all need to go. This is just a small little place. We can take these people easily. Look what God did at Jericho. He'll surely give us this city. He's told us to conquer all the land and he would go with us every place the sole of our foot would tread. He would be with us. Surely we can win this city easily, but that's not what happened. All of a sudden, 36 men are dead. 36 wives have no husband. 36 families have no dad. All of a sudden, what seemed to be what God would do wasn't. The expectation suddenly is gone. Caleb goes into the promised land with 11 other spies, and he he sees the land of milk and honey. He sees all the, the good things that God has promised to the children of Israel in this land of Canaan. He comes back with the good report, and he thinks, let's go. Let's go take it. God's promised it to us. Let's go get it. I want that mountain. And boy, Caleb's on board as well as Joshua, but the other spies brought an evil report, and so now 45 years. Caleb is stuck waiting Not exactly what he had planned. Not exactly the pause on the calendar that he was anticipating. What he saw in that day as a spy, what God had put in his heart for that land, that mountain, boy, he he had that all figured out in his mind. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to build my house right there. I'm going to be over there and I'm going to do this. And boy, we're going to have all this plenty. And for 45 years, it didn't happen. Paul goes to the country of Bithynia and he says, well, we got to get there. We got to go. We got to go. We got to take the gospel. We're going to all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And Paul's ready to go. And the spirit of God suffered him not. He said, no, no, we're not going to Bithynia right now. And Paul tries to knock that door down. Paul tries to go anyway. And, and God says, no. We got to be careful not to lean on our own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. We, like Mary and Martha, we would have thought our own understanding would be God's going to heal our brother. The Lord loves Lazarus. He's going to make him well. That was their understanding of the situation. There was an expectation there, but that wasn't God's plan. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. It was a no-brainer to Mary and Martha. Heal our brother. It's as simple as speaking a word, Lord. It's all you have to do. We'll get out of your way. It starts with a personal expectation, but it, we peel that layer back and we see a prescribed elevation. In verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. What seemed like a no-brainer to Mary and Martha, speak the word, make Lazarus better. Come and heal him. Put your hands on him, Lord. 
he'll be fine. We won't need you anymore. You can go back to preaching or go back to whatever you were doing. There was that expectation, but, but the Lord had a, a greater plan. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. This was a way, this was an incident, this was a circumstance that was a way for God to get more glory. There was a prescribed elevation. They couldn't see it. They're on the wrong side of it to see it. All they're thinking is what, what's best for them, what, what they think God should do. But, but God is seen beyond that. This was an opportunity to elevate God. Remember, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are higher than our ways. And we got to remember, as for God, his way is perfect. Our way may seem right, it may seem good, it may seem best, but we got to remember, above all that is God's way, and God's way is perfect. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. The ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them, but the transgressor shall fall therein. If we try to buck the will of God, if we try to go around the will of God, if we try to, to, to get the will of God out of our lives, we're going to fall. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. I'm sure Mary and Martha are thinking, we don't understand. Lord, why? Why wouldn't you come? Why wouldn't you just take care of it? Why wouldn't you meet our expectation? You love us. We love you. We're not trying to live displeasing to you. Just meet our expectation. But God's ways are past finding out. We can't know the mind, the heart of the Lord. So here was a prescribed elevation. And then we see another layer, a purposeful enlightenment. Let's read on. In verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. His disciples say to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there's no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. To the intent that ye may believe. In this adverse circumstance, that on the surface seems very disappointing. I'm sure in Mary and Martha's mind there was even some doubt about his love for them. They began to wonder what is going on. 
But we see that there was a purposeful enlightenment. Drop your eyes down to verse 23. Jesus is now speaking to Martha. Jesus said to her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? What is the Lord trying to accomplish in the minds of, of Martha and Mary and these others? He's trying to enlighten them to faith. He's trying to get them to believe. I'm glad I was not there. Because you all need a lesson about believing. You all need a lesson about faith. You all need a lesson about trust. I'm glad I didn't go. I wanted to go. I love them. I don't want Lazarus to be sick. I don't want him to suffer. But I didn't go for your sake. Because you've got something to learn. God was trying to grow their faith. God was trying to grow trust here. Young people, can I tell you something? God isn't trying to hurt you through your hurts. He's not trying to hurt you through the hurt. There's going to be disappointment. And we only see it from our perspective. We only see it from this side of the equation. And God saw their disappointment. He saw their hurt. He saw their trial. He saw their need. But he said, I got something better to teach you. I got something I want to accomplish in your life. Let me do it. Don't get angry. Don't get bitter. Don't give up on me. I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To bring you, to give you an expected end. See, we can't see the end. Only God sees the end. And God knows the journey from A to B. And God says, I'm going to get you there. You're going to be so happy when you get to B. You're going to be happy when you get there. I have a perfect will of God. And when you get there, you're going to be so happy in it. But let me, let me lead you there. He's trying to give to us in the disappointments. He's not trying to take something away. He's not trying to hurt us. He's not trying to, to, to be mean to us or show that he's all powerful and so he can hurt us if he wants to. No, God does not think those kind of thoughts toward us. He sees the end. And he knows that he has to enlighten us to trust, to faith. You see, stuff doesn't grow on the mountaintop. It grows in the valley. And the stuff of which life is made of, our walk with God is made from our trust, our faith, our willingness to, to let him lead and us follow. And that only happens in the valley. That only grows. That only increases. That only matures as we're going through a difficult time. That's why in Isaiah 48 verse 10 he says, I've chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. I don't know anybody in the ministry today who hasn't had a trial, a disappointment, a tragedy. I don't know. Everybody I know that's serving God today with their life and have had a few years under their belt of serving God, every one of them has had a trial. That's why they're still in the ministry. Because God used that disappointment, he used that trial to grow their faith, 
to grow their trust, to make them more mature. And if you bail out now, you're not going to get there. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And our faith has to be matured. Our faith has to grow. Our faith has to be made stronger. And so when that, when that school bill is due and there's no money, what's God trying to do? Well, he must be wanting me to quit because I don't have any money. No, 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 no. He didn't call you to Bible college and then change his mind. He wants to use this test. He's got a sympathy card in the mail. It's coming. It's got 500 bucks in it. I'm going to, you know, people, people redo these cards. This guy redid this card, whoever this is. He just reused the card, recycled the card. I might recycle the card. I'm not going to recycle the money, though. I'm going to keep that. God's trying to grow us. But often when God does that, notice the next layer. Number four, the protesting emotion. Despite God's attempt to grow their faith, Despite God's words of encouragement, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. I'm the resurrection and the life. Despite these words, look at the protesting emotion. Look at verse 17. Then when Jesus came, he found that he, Lazarus, had lain in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and to Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. You see the protesting emotion here? All we have in the Bible is words. Sometimes you have to provide the voice inflection. And that statement, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. I read a protest there. I read a little bitterness there. I read frustration there. And maybe I do so because look down at verse 28. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister secretly, saying, The master's come and calleth for thee. As soon as she, Mary, heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then Jews, the Jews then, which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Same words. So finally, Jesus shows up in Bethany four days after the fact of death. And Martha hears he's coming, so she runs out there, being a little more impetuous than Mary, no doubt. She runs out there and says, Lord, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. Lord, if you'd come when we called, if you'd done something about our email, if you'd responded to our text, if you'd come, this wouldn't have happened. We're in this mess because of you. There's a frustration here. There's a protest. So then Mar Martha, after she vents, she goes back, tells Mary, hey, Jesus is come. He wants to talk to you. So Martha stays in the house. Mary goes out, says the exact same words. What that tells me is that had been what they were saying the last four days. That had been the topic of conversation at the dinner table. Where was he? 
What was more important than us? I thought he loved us. I thought he cared. They couldn't understand. And even though Jesus had given the, the words of encouragement and comfort that they needed to grow their faith, they're protesting. They're letting their emotion get in the way, the emotion of frustration, the emotion of sorrow, the emotion of anger, the emotion of resentment, the, the emotion of doubt. It's all seen in those words. How foolish it is to trust our emotions to be correct. I mean, we look at this and say, Martha, Mary, just hang on, hang on, slow down, calm down. It's going to be okay. Hey, you're going to see one of the greatest miracles in the Bible. Hang on, it's coming. I mean, we, we would say that, but at the time, they're letting their emotions guide them. They're letting this frustration, this bitterness, this anger, it's, it's driving them. How foolish to let our emotions dictate our attitude and our actions. We're hurting, we're, we're not, we're, 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 we're disappointed, we, 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 we've messed up maybe, we, 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 we've met some resistance and all of a sudden, I, I don't feel like being here anymore. I, I don't feel like serving God anymore. I don't want to go soul winning. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do my homework. I, don't, I just want to go home and sleep. The psalmist said, my flesh and my heart faileth. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And that's from Psalm 73. And if you read Psalm 73, the psalmist is going through some big emotional swings. Why am I cast down? What's going on? I don't want to be here. I, I don't understand. Evil men are prospering and I don't have anything. And he's going through all this, the, all this emotional struggle in Psalm 73. And he finally realizes, hey, these emotions fail. These emotions are not trustworthy. These emotions cannot guide my life. My strength, my hope is in the Lord and his portion forever. We're going to have to fight through some of the emotional impulses in our life as the disappointments come. We peel back another layer. We see a prohibiting embarrassment. In verse 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold, how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh. He's been dead four days. A prohibiting embarrassment. Jesus comes to this grave in great heaviness of heart for their unbelief. And he comes to this grave and he says, Take you away the stone. And immediately Martha says, no, 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 Lord, please. Come on. You don't, don't embarrass us more. It's bad enough you didn't show up when we called. But now, you, now you're going to embarrass us? Our friends are here. The Jews have come to comfort us concerning our brother. Now you're going to take this stone away. And he's been in there four days. He, he's beginning to corrupt. The body's not going to look good. It's not going to smell good. Lord, you're going to embarrass us. 
These people almost missed one of the greatest miracles in the Bible because all they could think about was themselves. Did you know you can be right in the middle of a miracle and not even realize it because your focus is only on yourself? In this moment, Martha's not thinking about what God can do. She's not thinking about even her brother. She's thinking about what's this going to look like on me? This is going to embarrass us. This is going to make us look bad. Mary's not focused. Martha's not focused on the glory of God. She's focused on the the praise of men. And how many times do we fall into that same trap? We love the praise of men more than the praise of God. How can you believe which seek honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? By the way, this can happen to some of the very best Christians. We were learning in Baptist history this morning that Peter was the first one to realize that the gospel was to go to the Gentiles. Up until Acts chapter 10, the apostles thought that the gospel was simply to be preached to the Jews. But in Acts chapter 10, Peter has the vision of the, of the sheep coming down and the, and the animals clean and unclean. And you maybe remember the story. And, and at the conclusion of that, Jesus or God says, no, don't call something clean or unclean. I want the gospel to go all the world. I want it to go to the Gentiles. So Peter begins to preach to the Gentiles and the Gentiles start getting saved. They get saved by faith, same way the Jews got saved. It's the only way you can get saved. So these, these Gentiles are getting saved. And Peter's fellowshipping with them. He's, he's rejoicing with the, the new converts one night. Uh, and they're having some fellowship. And all of a sudden, into Denny's walked some Jews. <laughs> the circumcised walked in and got a table. And Peter sees him. And he, and he, and he gets up and he, he, he runs over and, and sits with the, with the Jews. Because he was embarrassed. He, he was ashamed that, that he had been fellowshipping with the uncircumcised. And he knew these Jews would, 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 would say something about that. So, he, so he, he comes over here. And wouldn't you like to have been a fly on the wall in Galatians chapter 2? When Paul withstood him to the face. Because Peter was to be blamed. And I'll paraphrase the conversation. Peter, come on, man. You knew, you knew the gospel was for those Gentiles. God showed it to you first. You knew better. Peter, you got concerned about Peter instead of God. And how many times do we miss the destination of our life? Because we're afraid of how we're going to look or what somebody's going to say. Here was a prohibiting embarrassment. But notice, sixthly, a phenomenal exclamation. Boy, I like these verses starting in verse 41. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou sent me. Jesus didn't have to say any magical words. He and his father were one. He knew what he was going to do. 
He's going through this whole process so they can believe. And when he thus had spoken, verse 43, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, let him go. Man, I hope there's some video of this in heaven. Wouldn't you like to see this? I don't know if it's preserved in the halls of heaven or not. We get there, we get to watch some of this stuff. I don't know. What a powerful, phenomenal exclamation. Lazarus, come forth. And here he comes. All bound up, can't see, walking in these grave clothes. Loose him, let him go. I'm sure Lazarus is glad somebody did. I am the resurrection and the life. With a spoken word, God could turn our dismal disappointment into a dynamic display of his power. Listen, you're wallowing in disappointment this morning. Something hasn't turned out like you thought it would. Something didn't happen the way you, you, you think you deserve. And you start wallowing in your emotion. You start protesting at God. And, and you start getting bitter and angry and frustrated. And you want to quit. Listen, God with a spoken word today can change your dismal disappointment to a dynamic display of his power. God can take the disappointing thorn in the flesh and make it a triumph of favor to where you can say with Paul, bring it on, I gladly glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, God is just waiting to speak the word. The quicker we learn to trust, the quicker we learn by faith to walk, the quicker we learn to rely upon God instead of our own understanding or trust in our own emotions, God can speak the word and change our life completely. And what happens as a result of all this? Well, God didn't do all this just so everybody could say, wow, he can raise people from the dead. Isn't that amazing? Wow, what a God. He can raise people from the dead. No, it's not why he did it. We see a permeating evangelism. Verse 45. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. See, Jesus was pretty good at getting a crowd to preach to. We have to go out door to door, try to drag people to church. Jesus was pretty good at getting a crowd. And he did all this to get those people there at that graveside so they could hear the message that they needed to bring eternal life to their life. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was which, was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with them. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which would betray him. We read on down to verse 9. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they put, might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him, Lazarus, 
many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. You see, as a result of all this disappointment, there was a permeating evangelism that took place. I'm sure the people in the early part of the book of Acts wondered, why all this persecution? Why did Stephen have to die? Why are we being martyred for our faith? I mean, I thought the Christian life was supposed to be joy and peace. I thought it's all supposed to be about love and, and enjoying life, abundant life. And why, why are we being persecuted? Why, why is one of our deacons dead? Why, why is this happening? There had to be some disappointment. But as a result of Stephen's death, people were scattered throughout all of Asia. And they went everywhere preaching the word. And now all of a sudden, Acts chapter 1, 8 becomes a reality. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And you read Acts chapter 8, and you know where they went preaching the word? Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Through a disappointment, through persecution, God accomplished the very thing he had called them to do. And I'm going to tell you something today. There are young people sitting here going through a disappointment right now. And God's got some great things. Bill and Kathy Rice had a daughter who was deaf. The first child. Child was deaf. Disappointment? No doubt. Can we understand this? Probably not. What's God trying to do, Lord? And at that moment in Bill and Kathy's Rice, Rice's life, they could have given up. They could have quit. And it wasn't easy being in seminary. It wasn't easy preparing to preach. It wasn't easy being a young evangelist. It would have been easy just to get bitter at God. Well, is this how you treat those that serve you? Is this what happens? But they leaned not under their own understanding. And now, since 1953, we've had the Bill Rice Ranch. Because God brought a disappointment into the life of a young couple and said, if you'll be faithful, and you won't get bitter, you won't get angry, but you'll just keep trusting me. I got a plan. And that plan is to see thousands of deaf people and thousands of hearing people come to know Christ through a property just outside of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Now, I can't see in your life the property 70 years later. All I can see is what you're seeing and you're feeling, and that's the disappointment. But don't take your eyes off the Lord now. Thomas Carlyle rewrote that masterpiece. 
And it is one of the greatest literary accomplishments of all time. In an hour of disappointment, he said, I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't know why that would have happened. But I'll write it again. So, okay, here you are. You have a disappointment today. So what are you going to do? I'd recommend you just get busy and rewrite your story. Just rewrite the chapter. Just keep writing. Keep writing. And one day your life will be a masterpiece for God's glory.